read from Hebrews chapter 10. And um, I'm going to begin at verse 19. In the Greek text, verses 19 through 25 is one long sentence. Um, like Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 20, 21, 22. In the Greek, these verses is just one long sentence. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, here's the first, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Second, let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Third, and let us, y'all see that? Consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's the reading of God's word and all God's people said, amen, you, you may be seated. <clears throat> oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. To me, this this book of Hebrews is somewhat mysterious. Uh, it's, it's like an enigma to me. We, we debate the authorship, and you've heard it all week long, how in your English Bible translation, some may say Paul was the writer, but I doubt if he was because of the style of the letter. It's more classical Greek. And then some say Barnabas, and some said Apollos, and some said even Priscilla, the wife of Aquila, may have written that. It's, it's just somewhat, somewhat mysterious. How many of you teach the book of Hebrews on Wednesday night Bible class? We, we know it's in the Bible, but we'd rather talk about the book of James. We would study the parables or we would look at an old testament but but hebrews will even challenge revelation but for some re reason we know hebrews is in scripture but we we don't do much study from hebrews then there's that mysterious character in chapter five by the name of mel melchizedek who does not have a beginning he does not have an end we don't know where he come from he's just Mention he's the king of, of Salem. So there are some mysterious enigma things to me about this, this book of Hebrews. And as someone has already said, 
this book is more of a sermon rather than an epistle or a letter. It's, it's a sermon. And in the first nine and a half chapters, the writer deals with doctrinal issues which has been discussed. But in my text, he says, therefore, based on this doctrinal things I've said, let, let me talk about some practical things. And I want to say on the front end, uh, these passages that I've been assigned, these are really worship passages. I know when we start talking about worship, we like to go to John 4, 24. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Or Matthew 15, 8 and 9. Uh, These people draw nigh to me with their mouth, honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me. But, but this is really a worship passage. What we know about the book written to the Hebrews is that uh, the recipients were second generation Christians. Now, what that really means is these second generation Christians had a passed down faith. Uh, they were not eyewitnesses of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were not there when Jesus turned water into wine. They were not there to see the healing of the nobleman's son. They, they were not there when the woman touched the hem of his garment. All they knew is what somebody else told them. They were not there when he walked on water. They were not there when he fed 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two small fishes. Whatever they believed, they had to believe because somebody told them about Jesus. I came to say, even, even on today, what we have is a passed down faith. Because we wasn't there when he turned water into wine. We were not there at the grave of Lazarus. We were not there when he healed blind Bartimaeus. Somebody told us about that. And we believe what somebody told us. Even though we have a passed down faith, we need to get to a point where what's passed down become our faith. It's not my mama's faith. It's not my grandmother's faith. I have a faith of my own that's been passed down. These second generation Christians were drifting uh, from Christianity, going back to Judaism. They start doubting Christianity. They start doubting what they had heard because of the persecution. They became dull of hearing. They started defying the word and then outward despising the word. There was a persecution that these second generation Christians were going through. And one of the things that the Hebrew writer does is he lets these recipients know that persecution is a consequence of following Jesus. I, I, I want to say if there's no suffering in your life, if there's no hardship in your life, if there's no persecution in your life, Paul said all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And I know if you're like me, uh, if I ask for volunteers uh, this afternoon, how many of you would volunteer to suffer? Uh, you might suffer if it was only for five minutes. You might suffer if it was only for half an hour. But how many of us would suffer for a day, for a month, for years? None of us would volunteer to suffer. But these Christians were going through persecution, and the writer is trying to let them know persecution 
is a consequence of following Jesus. That's why he said in chapter 11, look to the great cloud of witnesses. Look to those men and women who have gone through persecution, who have been sawn asunder. Some of them wandered about in sheepskin. If you think that what you have is hard, there's a great cloud of witnesses who went through something worse than what you're going through. He also says, the writer lets them know that persecution is part of God's plan. If you're going to follow Jesus, it's part of God's plan that you suffer. And, and chapter 12 speaks to that because, and I've always used this text out of context, but when the writer says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens, or whom the Lord loves, he's disciplined. What the writer is trying to encourage his readers to understand is, I'm allowing this persecution because out of this persecution, you'll learn some discipline in your life. How many of you remember? I remember when I was a little boy and my mother would whip me or my grandmother would whip me. Anybody here know what I'm talking about as they whooping you? They say, I'm only doing this because I love you. Yeah, and I used to say, you can keep that kind of love. But God, uh, through, uh, uh, through this writer, is letting uh, the readers know whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And then uh, the writer lets them know that persecution opens the door to victory, even though we suffer. Am I talking to anybody? Even though we have some hardships, even though we got a duck every now and then, even though darts and rocks are thrown, even though sometimes people abuse and misuse you, persecution opens the door for victory. That's why as he closes out this letter or as he closes out the sermon in chapter 13, he says some encouraging things to them. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Any good news to know that you can call on him at 3 o'clock in the morning? Ain't it good news to know that when uh, money is short uh, and the bills are due, you can call on him in the morning? Ain't it good to know when the brethren start having meetings on you, you can call him in the morning? Ain't it good to know that when folk misunderstand you and, and say things about you that's not true, you can call on him because he will never leave us nor forsake us in the midst of this persecution. Notice what the writer does. He, he says in verse 19, therefore, therefore. And then he gives three let us statements. I, I, I like to take a theocratic approach uh, when I look at scripture. And when I talk about theocratic, I'm simply talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I think I see them in this text. I, when he talks about a full assurance of faith, I see God the Father. When he talks about having your hearts sprinkled with blood from an evil conscience, I, I see the Holy Spirit. When he talks about your bodies being washed, I, I see Christ and the blood of Christ cleansing us from all of our sins. But I said earlier, th this is a worship passage. Th this is a worship passage. Hebrews chapter 10, and look at verse number 19, where, where it starts off by, by saying, Therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. And then he goes on down in verse number 
22 that talks about drawing near, coming near. Now, now the imagery is going into the temple and going into the temple to worship. But I want to say we don't have physical building temples today. But every last one of us can worship God. And when we worship God, we have access. And the writer is saying we ought to draw near. And watch what he says. Let's draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. When we come to worship, we ought to be bold and confident that God is who God said he is. One of the reasons our worship services are dry and sometimes our worship services are anemic. Sometimes our worship services are on life support. So sometimes our worship services are routine and we go through the motion with fake smiles and fake hugs and fake handshakes and sometimes we sit like a bump on the log. I believe it might be because we're not sure of who God is. When, when, when you know who God is, when you are sure who God is, I, I don't need an ontological discussion of who God is. I just know that God is. God was here before there was a here. Am I right about it? He made something out of nothing, made order out of chaos. Am I right about it? And sometimes if you really knew how great God is and what God has done and what God is going to do. There's no way you can just sit still doing worship and cross your legs and fold your arms. I, I know we rejoice in different ways, but at least rejoice. When we come to worship, we have access. We, we, we personally have access. We become the priests in worship we can participate in worship and not only do we have access but we need to work on our attitude y'all got a minute here I, I said we gotta work on our attitude now, now, now when we come to worship uh, some of us come anxious agitated and afflicted but you gotta work on your attitude sometimes when we come we come beat up bewildered and burdened but work on your attitude some of us come confused corrupted and contaminated but work on your attitude some of us come guilty uh, grieved and needing some grace but work on your attitude because worship Worship, worship is a solemn thing. Worship is a special experience. And uh, worship is like a voice in the night calling for help. Worship is the creature acknowledging the creator. Worship is dust communing with divinity. Worship is time flowing into eternity. But you have to come with the right attitude. And what the Hebrew writer is trying to tell these persecuted Christians, even though you are going through persecution, draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. I need to say that we ought not doubt God 
Christ, the Holy Spirit. There ought not be no doubts about the inspiration of Scripture. There ought not be no doubts about the oneness of the church. And some of the problems we're having in the brotherhood is some of us are doubting. We don't have full assurance that the church of Christ is right. Y'all to say amen. Some of us are tinkering and wavering and on the fence. But when I come to worship, there's no doubt in my mind that God is who he said he is. There's no doubt in mind that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. There's no doubt that he hung, he bled, and he died, but he got up early on Sunday morning. There's no doubt in my mind that the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Godhead. He dwells in us. He helps us. He enables us. He corrects us. There's no doubt in my mind that the church of Christ is the one true church, but some of us need to work on our attitude. Watch the text. Watch the text. Let us draw near with a sincere heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. When you are baptized and God gives you the indwelling of his spirit, he ought to help you to be better than you were before you came to Jesus. You don't think like you used to think. I, 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 I'm not going to say you forget cuss words. You just don't cuss like you used to. Say amen now. And some of us got to work on not cussing as much as we used to cuss. But the, one of the work of the Holy Spirit is to live inside of us, to guide us, to bring back to our memory. You might be getting ready to go somewhere you ain't got to go. You might be getting ready to say something you shouldn't be saying. But if the Holy Spirit is in you, he ought to arrest that wicked imagination. And so we got to have the right attitude, full assurance of faith, hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed. Well, let me go back to the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, when the priest went in, he would sprinkle utensils. And by sprinkling the utensils, it would set that vessel apart. And that vessel would be sanctified. Do we have any sanctified folk in the church of Christ? I, 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 I'm so disturbed now. We don't want to be sanctified. We want to be just like the world. Whatever the world, y'all got quiet on me. Instead of being, there are some unique things about members of the church of Christ. There are some distinct things about being a member of the church of Christ. It is not that we can't do some things. It's not that we can't call ourselves by some names. We just don't because that's our distinctive feature. I wish I had some help here. See, being sanctified means you're set apart. You're not like others. You're different from them. And there's nothing, and that's why, why the writer is saying, look, I know you're going through persecution.
I know you have it hard. I know Nero is on your back. I know Nero is making it hard. But look, don't forget who you are because what you have in Christ is better than what you had in Judaism. So, so, so even though, yeah, yeah, let them talk about us. Yeah, yeah y'all folk take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Yeah, we sure do. But we ain't going to be ashamed about it. Now, now watch this. Let, let, let me close in these five minutes. Bodies washed. I believe that that has some reference to baptism. Now, now, and what I believe the writer is doing is reminding those who are baptized that they were baptized. He's not teaching them to be baptized. But I think every now and then we ought to remember that we are baptized believers. We've had our bodies washed and the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us from all our sins. And as I close in these last five minutes, the writer says, verse 24, let us consider one another. When we come together, we ought to come together to encourage one another. In some of our churches, folk come together, they can't wait to get there, but it ain't about Jesus. Sometimes we got sniper attacks, drive-by shootings. But the writer said, let us consider one another and then not forsaking the assembly of ourselves. See, he's telling persecuted Christians, even though you're going through persecution, you still need to come together as an assembly to worship. Don't allow your situation to keep you from worship. And you know why? It's because we need one another. Douglas Goodman wrote a book, and in that book he calls, You Gotta Laugh to Keep from Crying. And I, I found a story in there that I want to close with, how we need one another. Who's looking out for who? Three mountain hikers were traveling through the snow, and there was a snowstorm. And as they were traveling, one of the hikers fell sick. And he couldn't go any further. So the second hiker said, let's leave him right here or we'll all die. The third hiker said, no, we should stick together. And the second hiker said, no, we need to leave this man right here. Because if we don't leave him here, we'll die with him. And the second hiker said, I have to save myself. And he left. About a couple days later, the first hiker who got sick got better. And once he got his strength back, the two hikers started traveling, trying to get back home. And about a day into uh, the hike, they found the second hiker, but he was dead. I came to say the Hebrew writer is saying, y'all need to come together. Even though you're being persecuted, stick together. Remember what God through Jesus has done for you. And the bottom line is stick together.